Well, hey, everybody, so great to see you, whether you're here in the room or joining us online from wherever you are. We're thrilled to have you along for the ride. We're in the fourth week of a series that we've called Repairing Relationships. And as I've said all along, I'm convinced is really some of the most practical material that we've ever explored together. And in fact, all of you who've stopped me at like Costco or Starbucks, I don't know how you ever found me at Starbucks, but you found me and, and you're like, dude. And I'm like, I know, right? This, this can be so so helpful. And in fact, it's, it's so helpful. If you're joining us for the first time, what I want to do is take a minute and catch you up on where we've been because each week sort of builds on what came before it. Uh, so we began this series three weeks ago by asking a really almost awkwardly intense personal question. Uh, it goes like this. Who hurt you, right? Like we were not messing around. And uh, who comes to mind when you see this question, and it probably happens like instantly, and, and it just sort of an image floods into your mind or a memory floods into your mind. Maybe it was a, an interaction with a, a spouse or an ex-spouse or a parent or a kid or a relative or a friend. It's like, if we're honest, like almost all of us could point to someone in our life who left us with some pretty significant emotional scars. But uh, here's the good news that sort of drives this series. I'm convinced that there is hope, even that the most broken relationships can be repaired. And, and even if they can't, and this is actually what we get to talk about today, I'm convinced that, well, you can have peace about a relationship, even without finding peace in that relationship. And that's a really, really big deal. So, okay, so in week one of the series, we explored what's often the first step to repairing relationships, uh, something social scientists and psychologists call empathy. Uh, empathy is essentially the act of considering the other person's perspective. It's when we think about what it must be like to be them in the context of our broken relationship with them. And I'm telling you, it's a powerful exercise because, well, when you take that long walk of empathy, when you set someone's behavior in the context of their past life experiences, pain, and disappointments, there's a good chance that whatever they did to you will make sense. I mean, to be fair, you probably still won't like it, but it will at least be understandable. And honestly, that's why empathy can be so powerful. It helps us sort of reframe the dysfunction in our lives. It provides perspective that allows us uh, to really approach that relationship in a different way. Okay, so that's what we discussed in week one. Then in week two, we explored what's often the second step in repairing broken relationships. It's the dreaded F word. You can say it with me if you want or not. Forgiveness, right? And we noted that for many of us, like forgiveness is simultaneously the last thing we want to do and the next thing that we need to do if we're going to come to peace with our challenging relationships. And we spent some time talking about what forgiveness is and what it isn't and why it can be so powerful. And by the way, if you missed that talk and it sounds interesting, you can catch up anytime on our website. Okay, so after spending some time discussing empathy and forgiveness, then last week uh, we looked at what specifically Jesus told his followers to do with their broken relationships. Like, what is the practical step? And uh, for the sake of time, I'll summarize the action points that he suggested this way. He essentially told his followers, hey, when you've been wronged by someone else, go to them and confess. Like, don't talk to other people about them. Just go to them 
and confess. And then he also said to them, um, in those situations when you've been wronged, like you weren't the one that did the wrong, but you've been wronged, go to someone and forgive. Be, approach them with humility and to say, listen, I need to forgive you for what you did to me. And we mentioned that at times you may, they may not even be aware that it happened, but you are carrying a burden and you need to let them know that you're laying it down. In other words, uh, whether you've been wronged or you've been the one who, done, who did the wrong, you need to have a critical conversation with the person with whom you struggle. And I'm telling you, if my experience is any indication, these conversations, these critical conversations can be real game changers because at times when confession by one person meets forgiveness by the other, reconciliation becomes possible and peace can be restored. And it's an absolutely beautiful and incredible thing when it happens. But now, if we're honest, um, and, and you know this, not every critical conversation leads to restoration. In fact, you might say, dude, I've had so many critical conversations in my life, I can't even count, and I've never experienced restoration. So I see what you're saying, but I don't like it, right? Um, and, and there's actually a good reason why that's the case. I mean, obviously, it takes more than one willing party to repair a broken relationship. And I actually think that that reality was best captured by the late 20th century poets. I speak, of course, of Rob Bass and DJ Easy Rock. And some of you remember these guys? Yeah, you were already there, right? They, they wrote the following brilliant lyrics. It takes two to make a thing go right, right? Yeah, and if you don't know that song, you can Spotify that bad boy later. And, you know, I was a DJ for a long time, played that song more times than I can count. This is probably just my group therapy. But anyway, what are we supposed to do if the person with whom we've experienced a relational breakdown, the person with whom we've repeatedly attempted to have a critical conversation, is unwilling or even unable to move towards us relationally? Like, what if the more we pursue them, the harder they push back? Or what if every time we like vulnerably extend our hand in grace, it gets bitten by the other person? In other words, like, okay, when is enough enough? Like, how far do we need to go? And that's a great question. And I suspect that it's a question that we've all asked at one time or another when we got sideways with someone who seemed, well, honestly, they seemed emotionally dangerous to be around. Someone whose destructive choices repeatedly cause collateral damage for us and or for the people that we love. I mean, what can we do with someone like that? Like, especially when it's not possible to completely sever a relationship with them because they're a part of our family, right? And, and like, whatever happens or doesn't happen with these critical conversations, we're going to see them at Thanksgiving and Christmas each year at least. We might even have to take a family cruise at some point, right? <laughs> Which makes it complicated. Well, after serving as a pastor now for over two decades and working with a lot of complicated relationships, I'm convinced that the answer to those questions can be summed up in one incredibly powerful word, boundaries. And for our conversation today, I want to define a boundary this way. A boundary is a line that delineates what depends on you from what depends on them. In other words, a boundary separates what you're responsible for in the context of your broken relationship and what they're responsible for in the context of your broken relationship. And consequently, and this is huge, a boundary can help 
You define how you can know when you've done all you can do to try and repair your relationship so that you can find peace with a relationship without finding peace in that relationship. Okay, so now with the rest of our time today, I want to give you a powerful image that can really help you as you consider setting up a boundary with someone in your life. It's someone with whom you have a really complicated relationship. And the image is found in a letter written by a pastor named Paul to early Christians living in a region of the Roman Empire called Galatia. Today, it would be the far eastern edge of Turkey. It was sort of the wild, wild west in the ancient world, even though it was the east. You know, you're kind of cowboys and Indians kind of stuff. But anyway, in the passage that we get to explore today, Paul says two things to these early Jesus followers that are incredibly helpful, but at least initially seem very contradictory. So let me just kind of show them to you and then I'll, I'll tell you what I think is going on here. So the first one goes like this. He tells these early Jesus followers, carry each other's burdens and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. Carry each other's burdens and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. In other words, Paul instructs followers of Jesus to help one another out and then he says to them that when you do that, when you help one another carry your burdens, you're actually doing what love requires of you. That's what Paul means when he talks about, uh, you know, the law of Christ being fulfilled when you carry each other's burdens. And that's easy enough to understand, okay? We, that doesn't surprise us. Jesus would tell us to do that, sure. But now check out what Paul writes to them just three short verses later. Here's what he says. Each one should carry their own load. <laughs> In other words, Paul says to early Christians, listen, each of you needs to be responsible for your own responsibilities. And so if you're paying attention right now and Paul were in the room, you might want to raise your hand and go, okay, Paul, time out. Um, you've just told your readers to carry each other's stuff and now you're telling them to carry their own stuff. So what in the world is going on? And in order to answer that question, I want to refer to a book called Boundaries. It was written almost 30 years ago by two really smart guys named Henry Cloud and John Towson. Townsend. And fun fact, I have actually met Henry Cloud a few different times. And I'm absolutely sure it was a bigger deal for me than it was for him. <laughs> Just saying. But anyway, the book that they wrote has literally sold millions of copies and has become required reading in pretty much every graduate program in psychology in our country. And in fact, if you're right now struggling with a toxic relationship, I would encourage you to pick up this book. It's available on Audible, which is where somebody reads it to you, right? And Kindle, the digital book. And you can even pick up, wait for it, a printed copy, like on paper, if you like to roll old school like me. Okay, so in this book, Cloud and Townsend note that when Paul tells early Christians to carry each other's burdens, he wants them to imagine something massive, a massive burden that they need to carry, something that would qualify as like a boulder-sized challenge in life. If you're a visual learner like me, here is a boulder. You get the idea, right? Something you should never try to carry alone, something you don't have the strength or resources or knowledge to carry on your own, something that you need help to carry. And the authors point out that um, this life, and we've know, you, you know this, is full of emotional boulders. Like I think of a family member who develops cancer and, and has to navigate that journey or, or a friend who unexpectedly loses their job or, or maybe a cousin whose spouse like abandons them and their three kids or, or even a neighbor who's like basement floods. 
or, or any other massive life challenge. Those can all be thought of as boulder-sized burdens. And Henry Cloud and John Townsend argue that that's what Paul is th- imagining when he tells early Christians to carry each other's burdens. Burden like a boulder, big stuff. So what does he mean when he tells early Christians that each one should carry their own load? What is he after there? Well, the authors point out that the Greek words in the New Testament letters were originally written in Greek. The Greek words used by Paul that are translated burden and load are different words that carry very different meanings. Uh, The word translated burden carries the sense of something in excess of routine life challenges. Like there's the normal stuff and then there's the boulders, right? But, But the word translated load refers to the more normal burdens of daily life. So, so like, you might think of it this way. If carrying a burden is like trying to lift a boulder, then carrying your load is more like carrying a backpack. A backpack filled with the things that you really need to take care of yourself. Things like taking responsibility for your feelings and your attitudes and your reactions and your overreactions and, and even like your routine financial commitments. And so in in the book, Cloud and Townsend note something powerful about the distinction between a burden and a load. And here's what they write. Is that problems arise in relationships when people act as if their boulders are daily loads and refuse help, or as if their daily loads are boulders they shouldn't have to carry. And some of you are thinking of someone right now in your life, right? Yeah, like, oh, I know that guy. Yeah, he, they go on. The results of these two instances are either perpetual pain or irresponsibility. Said more practically, you shouldn't ask me to carry your load and I shouldn't ask you to carry mine. You should have a boundary between what is mine to carry and the burden that's popped up in my life that I really do need help to carry. So all that to say, a boundary defines where my responsibility ends and someone else's begins, speaking to followers of Jesus. So what Paul is trying to say is that, listen, because of your faith in Jesus, you are responsible to help carry one another's burdens, but not one another's loads. Okay, so what does any of that have to do with our broken relationships? I'm so glad you asked. Here's the thing. If you currently have a broken relationship with someone and you've been doing all that you know how to do, like you're repeatedly trying to reach out and have a critical conversation in which you confess something that you did wrong or forgive them for something they did wrong, then there's a sense that you're carrying your own load, like you're doing your part. You're you're doing what love requires. But, and and this is the key, if the other person won't forgive or confess their role in the relational dysfunction, then functionally, they're asking you to carry their load. Moreover, and this is where this gets complicated, if you decide to help them carry their load, that not only is going to make matters worse, because, and I wrote this down, and and I want to get it right, check this out, because when you carry someone else's load, we rob them of experiencing the consequences of their destructive decisions. Like they're doing something toxic and it's probably not just with you, but if you step in and carry something for them, it's like you're just enabling them 
to keep making these same destructive decisions. And without experiencing the consequences, then it's highly unlikely that they'll ever consider making the changes that they need to make. And that's why in broken relationships, it's absolutely critical to draw a boundary between what depends on you and what depends on the other person. Okay, so the authors in the Boundaries book illustrate this reality with a story that's well worth repeating. They say it this way. Imagine that you've placed a significantly higher priority on the quality of your lawn than has your neighbor. You with me on this? You're in a subdivision and you think their lawn is the abomination that causes desolation that Daniel speaks about in the Old Testament. You know what I'm saying? Like that is pathetic. Like if there was a homeowner's association, you would be filing some paperwork, right? You're wondering if the county can say something. It's like your yard is green and their yard is brown and the line between is stark and you find it endlessly frustrating. Probably because you need to get a hobby, but you know what I'm saying, right? Like every time you're mowing your lawn, you look in judgment upon their lawn and by proxy them, right? And you're watering and you're mowing and you're aerating, which I just learned that was a thing. I didn't even know that was a thing. But you're doing all, you're fertilizing, you're doing all the things that you're supposed to do if you want your lawn to look great. And they aren't doing anything, right? You're beginning to question whether they have any value at all as a neighbor or maybe even a human. Then imagine one day that in a moment of desperation and frustration, you decide to adjust some of your sprinklers to water their lawn. That's a touch passive aggressive. You should talk to your counselor about that, but let's just pretend for the sake of the illustration, right? So think about this. If you do this long enough, what will happen? Like your lawn or segments of your lawn will begin to turn brown because they're not getting the water that they need. And your neighbor's lawn will turn green. In other words, your neighbor is being irresponsible and he's happy, right? And you're being responsible and you're miserable. And so I love that story because it describes exactly what happens when we try to carry someone else's load. We allow them to be irresponsible while we end up getting frustrated. And irresponsible behavior never makes anything better. And that's why you never really help anybody out by carrying their load. But you always help somebody out by carrying their burden. And, and I know, like, if you're paying attention and if you're being honest, you, you may want to raise your hand, especially if you're a better Christian than me. Raise your hand. You say something like, okay, I hear you, but boundaries don't feel very Jesus-y, right? Like, doesn't Jesus want his followers to endlessly show mercy and grace and forgiveness and love and generosity? Because that's, I mean, that, that's certainly in there, right? And doesn't he say that? And yeah, he does. However, and this is worth writing down if you're, if you're a note taker, sometimes unconditional love necessitates conditional assistance. And this would be a good time if um, you, you might just want to do the Christian moo thing, like, mm, right? Isn't that good? Unconditional love necessitates conditional assistance. In other words, sometimes to truly love someone, you essentially need to say, I will help you out 
if, but if you won't, then I can't. Because honestly, I'm trying to love you. Like when, when we're trying to navigate impossible relationships, there are actually moments when the most loving thing that you can say to someone is no. <laughs> and you're like, dude, this was my first word. This is perfect. And the whole, you know, kids right now, they're already onto it, right? Yeah, that not in the same way, of course, right? There's nuances. But like when, whenever someone you don't really trust wants to borrow money or asks to live indefinitely in your basement, which you recently refinished, right? Or they try to take control of you through manipulation and guilt. Or whenever someone in your life has like a pattern of taking advantage of you by asking you to carry a load that really should be their responsibility. And you're, I know you're already thinking of somebody, right? Whenever you're in one of those situations, no is a great, though emotionally complicated response. And I say that because no has the potential to feel unloving, both to the person who is verbalizing it and the person who has to receive it. And it feels that way even though at times it is the most loving thing that you can do. In fact, if you think about it, um, not giving in to someone's requests or demands does not mean that you're giving up on them. I mean, at times, the most responsible thing that we can do in a broken relationship is to say, listen, I am not going to give up on you. I'm, I'm not giving, but I'm not giving in to you. And, and this is a critical distinction. Not giving in is not the same thing as giving up. Although to the person who's trying to, to get you to help them carry their load, they will feel this. Well, if you're not giving in to my demands, then basically you're giving up on me. You're telling me I have no value. And you're like, no, no, I'm actually affirming your value. And they won't believe you, but that's okay, right? Not giving in is not the same thing as giving up. You can say to the person, listen, I'm always going to hold on to the hope that things can get better, and I'm always going to have hope that change is possible for you, and that our relationship can heal and be repaired and be restored. But here's the thing. In the meantime, I need to establish a boundary, and this is huge, for you, so I don't enable your irresponsibility, but also for me, I, it, it works both ways. A boundary is actually going to bless in the long run the person with whom you need to create the boundary because it may activate potential for them to heal that wouldn't be there otherwise, but it also is huge for us. So I, I need to ask you, are you currently in a relationship with someone where you feel like you care more about their life and their future than they do? That's another one of those, mm, right? Yeah. Are you currently in a relationship with someone where you feel like you care more about their life and their future than they do? And if so, you know that's an incredibly challenging place to be. And that, that's why, as I was wrestling all this content to the ground, I, I thought, man, I, I hope I can convince at least a few of you to choose to set a boundary with that person. I hope you'll take the time to identify the difference between a burden for which they legitimately need help and a low, a daily load that they really need to be responsible to carry themselves. And then once you've, once you've made that distinction that you would draw a boundary that enables you to say with confidence, I could help you, but I'm not going to because I love you and ultimately I want what's best for you. Oh, and, and by the way, I think that boundaries 
should always have a time limit. Like, um, we, we should always be willing to reevaluate them after three months, six months, a year. Like, we need to remain open to whatever the future holds. So a boundary should never feel like the Great Wall of China, right? It should be more like, oh, I brought a picture, like a fence with a gate, and the gate has a handle on your side. Because ultimately, the boundary you install is as much for you as it is for them. Um, okay, so I, I totally get the broken relationships can be um, intensely painful and complicated, and I know that the quality of our life is really ultimately only as good as the quality of our relationships. And that's even uh, more true the closer the person with whom we have a challenge is to us. And, and so if, if you're here this morning or if you're watching online, um, and if you've lost hope in a relationship and for a relationship, what I want to do is, as we wrap, is just point you one last time to the verse that started this whole series. Remember, I built a whole talk around one verse, and a couple of you were like, that's cheating. And anyway, but this is a good verse, nonetheless. So here's what Paul writes 2,000 years ago to early Christians living in Rome. He says to them, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Like, if it is possible, which means that it may not be. And he says, as far as it depends on you, meaning there is only so far that you can go. So he said, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, and then he says, live at peace with everyone. As a follower of Jesus, these are our marching orders. And, and so my prayer for you in your broken relationships with one of your children, with one of your parents, with one of your friends, with a coworker who hurt you profoundly. My prayer is that in your broken relationships that you would have the courage to go as far as you can go and then at that point you would set an appropriate boundary. Because I'm telling you, when you do, you can find peace with a relationship without necessarily finding peace in that relationship. Okay, so now uh, if you're here in the room, I'd love to invite you to stand, and I'll close our time in prayer. And, and once again this week, um, if, if you'd like to talk to someone, we have some volunteers that will be under the screen. Uh, just kind of make your way over there. They'd love to just pray for you. Um, and also a reminder, uh, the World Vision team is here and would love to inspire you to join them on their mission uh, to help kids get clean drinking water and also to find some community connection and exercise right here at Keystone. So they'll be under this screen, so we're using both screens. So let's, uh, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, for the miracle of the gospel. We thank you that you sent Jesus to rescue us from a situation um, that we could not rescue ourselves from. And thank you as well that, um, that you have a mission and a purpose for us in this life after we place our faith in Jesus, that you want to raise up a new sort of people on earth, people who live differently, people who live better, people who do hard things, and people, people who know when to set an appropriate boundary for redemptive purposes. And so I pray for all of the impossibly complicated relationships represented in our community. I pray that by your spirit, you would guide each person to whatever the next step they need to take is, and you'd give them the courage 
to take that step. I pray that relationships would be repaired and restored and strengthened. I guess on a bigger sense, we pray that in our relationships, your kingdom would come and your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so we thank you for today. We thank you for the grace in which we stand. We thank you for providing us a model and inviting us to follow. And it is in the matchless name of Jesus Christ we pray. And everyone said, amen. Grace and peace to you, friends. We'll see you next week.